Welcome to Heart of a Shepherd, a podcast from Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, Wisconsin. Now, here's Trinity's Rick Adams, Angela Axtrin, and Pastor Carl Leyenbauer. Welcome back, everybody. Rick Adams here, Director of Discipleship at Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt in the podcast room with Senior Pastor Carl Leyenbauer. Hi, Rick. And Angela Axman. Hi, Rick. It's great to be here with both of you. We are going to uh, actually go back to a text that we intended to get to last podcast. We just ran out of time. And so we're going to start at verse 37 of, of Luke chapter 9 and finish off the section that we intended to get to last week, or last podcast, and then move into new territory. So Pastor Carl. All right, so we just came out of the Transfiguration, and they come down, and here's what happens. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So, in the last podcast, when we were talking about the transfiguration, we noted how in, in life there are many mountaintop experiences when we just feel that communion with God and community with God's people, and we maybe have had those worshipful moments that we just didn't want to end, mm-hmm. and yet we're called to come down off of that mountain and re-engage in life, as it were. Mm-hmm. And we see that immediately happening in verse 37 because um, what do we see here? The next day they came down from the mountain. A large crowd is there to meet him. And so Jesus immediately loses that quiet community with his disciples. Mm -hmm. He's back to being pressed and crushed by the crowds. And then this uh, unfortunate child is brought before him who seems to be showing all the signs of epilepsy, only it seems it's worse than that because there's a, demon in this. And we get a little bit more context of this in in Mark, but because Jesus really seems to be expressing in harsh statements the disciples' inability to cast out this demon. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jesus... (laughs) Yeah, Jesus isn't just talking about the disciples. He's talking about this crowd, too, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, that meets him. And, I mean, what a shock to the system, you know, humanly speaking, to go from revealing his glory and the the fact that this is the creator of the universe who can do all things. 
and who has come in order to go do this exodus that we alluded to. He's on his way to Jerusalem to go suffer and die because of his love for these people. And here's this crowd of people like, I bet he can't even do anything the disciples couldn't. I, there, there seems to be this this attitude uh, that, that Jesus is responding to. They just don't believe. And he knows who he is. <laughs> and so Jesus reacts to that and th- that that phrase, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Uh, which, on the one hand, sounds um, almost insulting. But then you think about what it's going to mean for Jesus to be finished bearing with this people, and it's going to require him to sacrifice himself. And he knows that. He's just been telling the disciples that. So it, it's almost like, how long until I can finish this mission and complete my purpose? Right. You know, complete yeah. that exodus. Yeah. And Mark gives us a little bit more conversation between Jesus and the Father here where it says, um, how long has he been like this? Jesus asks the Father, and the Father says, since childhood, he's been thrown sometimes into fire or water. But you, if you can do anything, <laughs> like how the Father puts it, if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. Yeah. And Jesus, like, if if you can, mm-hmm. like, um, everything is possible with him who believes. And I love the statement of the Father at that point. I do believe Help me with my unbelief. Mm-hmm. How many? How many of us have been in that mm-hmm. position? Yeah. I, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. It sounds like we're talking out of both sides of our mouth, but that's our reality. We're we're always in that tension between doubt and faith and confidence. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I believe, but I always should believe more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. So at this as, point, as, as we're used to, up, yeah. Jesus rebukes the demon and it leaves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because Jesus always wins. Right. Yeah. We just really wanted to finish that section. We hate leaving things untouched. And so that kind of ties a knot on that portion of Luke 9, which now takes us to the section that we really had intended to begin with this podcast, verses 46 to the end of the chapter in the conversation of who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Yeah. And as we lead into this, that we, we mentioned a little bit in the last podcast, but there's this tension between this idea that, you know, God is on my side, so everything should go well, and it should just be, you know, better and better and better. And Jesus' intent, both for himself and for those who will follow him, to take up a cross and to suffer. And so as we start to read these verses, we again see that that playing out in kind of a practical argument between the disciples. And and the whole argument is ill-conceived because they're missing the point of what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. So here we go. Verse 46. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Then transition. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Who is the disciple that comes to mind whenever you think about the guy who speaks first and thinks second? It's always sticking his foot in his mouth. It's Peter, right? Mm -hmm. Not so in this section. Mm -hmm. It's John. John's having a bad stretch yeah. here. The love disciple. <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another and all you know, that. Yeah. yeah, and w when we started the podcast and we were finishing off the section that we didn't get to last time, we talked about how Jesus, you know, he's characterizing this generation as an unbelieving and perverse generation. How long should I put up with you? Well, we start to get evidence of it right here. They're, they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And I know that it's not just the disciples that he was characterizing as wicked generation, mm -hmm. all the onlookers and believers there. And so it's just, it seems to snowball a little bit where they're just, they keep demonstrating that they're not fully comprehending the kingdom of God yet. Yeah. Um, and Jesus, in verse 47, it says, Jesus knew their thoughts, knows their thoughts. Just that in and of itself is an amazing thing when you imagine when you realize Jesus never sinned he knew their thoughts and he still didn't sin mm -hmm. I mean, imagine what it would be like if you knew everybody's thoughts or I knew everybody's thoughts it would be a horrible existence mm -hmm. well it reminds me of Sarah and Abraham when you know Sarah's here she's going to have a baby and she laughs yeah. and then he's like why did why Sarah did laugh and she's laugh. like I didn't laugh like yeah you did and that was it I yeah. love that's one of my favorites but for him to know me to the point where he knows my thoughts and he still loves me is truly remarkable um so he pulls this child out from amongst the crowd I think it's interesting that we move from a child being healed of a demonic possession in the previous section and now he uses a little child, the smallest and weakest member of human society. Mm -hmm. So he's the best example. The least useful. Use, yeah, least useful. And he's the best example of when you welcome the least of these, you welcome me. So great object lesson there from Jesus. Does anybody else notice the awkwardness be transition between verse 48 and 49? Um Jesus is like trying to drive home a point to his disciples about, hey, you need to get over this whole superiority thing. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like in verse 49, Master, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. To me, it's almost like John is saying, 
Okay, yeah, yeah, I got it. Welcome the least master. Okay. Hey, this guy's driving out demons and he's not one of us. <laughs> he's and he had just been on the Mount of Transfiguration yeah. and Yeah. He's he's worrying about the wrong thing. You know what's intriguing to me about as you pull, point that out, uh, assuming this is chronological and I don't know how closely it is, but is it that when we get that kind of experience of like, wow, God invited me into this incredible moment. We come down a little overconfident, a little maybe from that mountain. A little arrogant. A little arrogant, yeah. and uh, we start to think that maybe it's because of something in us. And um, yeah, that's intriguing. I, I I don't know. I think there is a connection here in that. I think John is maybe at a subconscious level saying, "But we're greater than those guys, right? So we should stop them from driving out demons because they're not one of us." You know, I think maybe there's something like that going on. And that's why, because it, it says John answered, that's why I'm hypothesizing okay. that, yeah. that there's a connection there. Uh, but yeah, it, there, it says John so answered in yeah. ESV. Yep. Yeah. In in NIV, it's just Master said John. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, to me, this is just encapsulates this infighting that sometimes dominates mm -hmm. the church mm -hmm. even to this mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. We resent churches that get a better response to a worship or worship service or whatever. Yeah. And instead of be praising God for the fact that the kingdom of God is being blessed, we have jealousy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is one of those phrases, by the way, that is, uh, it's challenging because Jesus says something and it's opposite. He says, don't stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. And then elsewhere, he says that, um, Whoever is not with us is against us, or whoever is not with you is against you. He, he says both things. And so it becomes challenging to try to figure out in which situation which one applies. Yeah. And so in this, in this situation, Jesus is saying, uh, he, he's driving out demons in my name. He can't in the next minute say something bad about me, so therefore leave him alone. Yeah. He's not doing any harm. Uh, but in other cases, he's saying you can't trust everybody uh, unless they're really with you. They're working against you. Verse 51 uh, comes under the heading of Samaritan opposition in, my, in the NIV mm -hmm. Bible. And the same phrase exists in the ESV as in the NIV. He turned resolutely, as it say, mm -hmm. out for Jerusalem. He turned his face, set his face, set his face towards Jerusalem. In the NIV, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Talk about a turning point. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like I want to hear the Rocky theme playing. <laughs> like, as you see Rocky running through the streets of Philadelphia to train for his fight with mm -hmm. Apollo Creed. Mm -hmm. This is like the moment that Jesus is like, battle on, game on, let's go. And he, that's, his, that's his destination. That's why he came. That's why he is veiled in flesh. The Godhead see in the manger. Now it's all, we're here. We're getting to this moment. Yeah. Go, going to, he's setting his face to Jerusalem means he's setting his face to the cross. Yes. Like specifically. He's exactly. going to go suffer and die, right. not just on his way to a particular city. No, no. This is the passion. Right. Yeah. yeah. This is the beginning of the passion in the mind of Jesus. Yeah. And it just keeps getting worse for John. I, in verse 54, he's just having a bad stretch. You know, first it's, I want to be the greatest in the kingdom. Then it's make this guy stop being, doing miracles better than us. <laughs> and, and then we get, let's call down fire on these people. So again, Peter's usually the guy who gets the bad rap for sticking his foot in his mouth. But, you know, James and John were given that nickname, 
sons of thunder mm -hmm. because of stuff like this right yeah 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 it, it, it's so funny i because john is also called the love disciple and you read john's yeah. gospel and it's love and love and love and yeah. you read john's epistles and it is love and love and love and beloved let us love i mean he uses the word like four times in one verse multiple multiple verses and i wonder if that's because for him that was such a radical transition i know i don't know about you know i don't know about you but i'm glad i'm not known or defined by who i used to be yeah yeah <laughs> my teenage years yeah it's wonderful that that that's in the past yeah and it's not my identity i and think it's funny too that they had to suggest something to jesus <laughs> should be you know yeah. should we tell fire to come down yeah. did he think did they really think that jesus couldn't <laughs> consume them in some way if he felt they needed to be consumed yeah. well and there's been a times in the history of the Christian church over the past two millennia where we we have called down fire on those who don't believe in the gospel by, you know, drawing up armies. And Jesus, is, his rebuke here is telling us that's not how you deal with unbelievers. You don't beat them into submission. Mm -hmm. So then verses 56 to the end of the chapter, just it's a really curious stretch because these different people are coming up to Jesus. The first guy says, I'll, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go, right? And Jesus' response is, um, yeah, uh, do you really know what, what that means? Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. To me, that is Jesus' way of saying, I don't know that you really know what you're asking for here. Mm -hmm. You've got a lot of stuff. You've got a really comfortable life. Are you really ready mm -hmm. to lose all of that mm -hmm. to follow me? Yeah. It's a, it's a call to leave behind comforts and be ready to, to follow wherever Jesus leads. And that, in this case, is specifically Jerusalem to die. Right? That's what this is about. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is he's inviting his followers to count the cost and to realize what they're getting into. Yeah. And then it flips in the next verse. It's not the man coming to ask Jesus. It's Jesus asking the person, mm -hmm. come and follow me. And look at how the, the in verse 60 and or the last half of verse 59 and then verse 61, look at how their replies begin. So when Jesus says in verse 59, follow me, the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And I would just focus in on those first four words lord first let me for lord first mm -hmm. if you really want to drill down mm -hmm. first this and the same thing has happened in verse 61 another said i will follow you lord but first let me and i i really think that what jesus is saying is there's no first let me do this right. or first let me do that with yeah. me i get the top priority well it's the it's the opposite of Earlier, when he said, deny yourself and yeah. take up your cross and follow me, that's exactly what they're not doing. Mm -hmm. They're saying, well, yeah, I want to I wanna take up the cross, but first I want to do what myself needs to do, and then I will follow you. Yeah. yeah. And that he already told us that's not the way you do it. Yeah. But this is extreme. And, and, you know, the first let me bury my father, and, and some people would interpret that to mean, my dad's still alive yeah. and I just need to finish all, all my family matters. And then, you know, when that's done, then I'll transition to the next stage of life of following you. Yeah. Uh, but 
more likely, he's actually needs to go bury his father. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, you can't miss the moment when I call you. And, and I think that's the, the lesson that Jesus intends to leave us with is there is no, I'll get to that later, no matter how extreme it may seem like we, and, and for all we know, this man did have another chance, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but for our, our sake, we, we are meant to answer the call when the call comes, not to say, yeah, Jesus, I've got something else more important to do first. That's never okay. His reply in verse 60 is curious, though, because when he says, let the dead bury their own dead, mm. well, that's an impossibility if he's talking about a physically dead person. Right. A physically dead person can't do anything. So it has to, he's got to really be talking about a spiritually dead condition right. here. Right. So as so the guy is saying, I'll follow you once my father's dead and I don't have to make him sad by not doing what he would want me to do. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, I hear, still hear that today. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In, in That's words. a real thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the last verse, verse 62, about no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. It's a really cool little thing I read about first century farming. You could not put put your head or look back or even divert your head's attention for a moment while you were plowing because it was so critical that that blade remained on a perfect parallel route with the other furrows. Mm-hmm. And there was no stopping. I mean, you, you had time to stop if you could see a rock or other impediment coming up that would otherwise break the blade of your plow. So a farmer's eyes were fixed on the ground in front of him as he's plowing. Yeah. And so Jesus is borrowing that reality for first century farming and saying, look, you guys know this in farming. You're not going to keep your eye off of the the plow when you're plowing. And the same thing is true with the kingdom of God. You've got to keep your eyes focused on the task at hand here. You can't have your head swayed by anything. I think Yeah, because if you're steering with two hands and you turn your head, your plow is going to turn. Right. We have to be single-minded. Yep. So, heart of the shepherd application. It's challenging. Yeah. I, I mean, the, this is harsh. Yeah. Right. Jesus is setting his face to the cross and he's calling people to follow him. That is not, that's no joke. Right. right? And so I think that's, uh, there's a couple of um, applications for that as we think about, if I'm thinking about my own spirituality, it's it's a recognition that what I am called to is denying myself, taking up my cross, following Jesus. It's going to involve moments where I displease someone else or where I have to put aside things that I would like to put first because Jesus has to come first. That's going to be part of what I'm called to. Mm-hmm. But then also in that next level, as I think about trying to, what what it is that I'm calling my children to or what it is that I'm trying to influence my my loved ones towards, it's it's a calling to a life of sacrifice. Giving of self, it's it's a hard. Um, this is, this does not come naturally to the sinful nature, right? And so, it's fitting that that comes with this glimpse of glory that we got in the transfiguration. This little glimpse that says there is something that is beyond what you see on the surface. That there is something remarkable in the presence of God in this world. And so, what looks like just a life of sacrifice or suffering or whatever. Uh, if it looks undesirable, that doesn't mean that the reality is what it seems to be. And that's true all the way to the cross. And then that's not what it seemed to be. It was victory and it was conquering death. 
And that's the same thing that's going on as we uh, work to bring the gospel into our own world and bring life and salvation through Jesus. Right. There's a lot here. And, um, you know, I had one comment or a note on when Jesus said, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Hmm. And my mind went to the manger. I mean, that was Jesus' reality from the moment he was born, <laughs> right? Son of Man has no place to go. No, no room in the inn, no place for him. And that was pretty much defined throughout his entire lifetime and his whole ministry. But I also wanted to just remind myself and remind all of our listeners, when Jesus is using these these very harsh words to talk about, you know, let the dead bury the dead, and you have to pick up your cross and follow me, <clears throat> the temptation is to think, well, the life I'm living in my context in life is I'm not worthy of, I mean, I'm not measuring up to that because I live in an, in an air-conditioned house in the summertime and a nicely mm-hmm. heated house in the wintertime, and I've got a lot of creature comforts, so maybe I need to give some of this stuff up Uh, That's not what Jesus is calling us to, but he's just saying be faithful in the moment when you have the opportunity to represent Christ amongst your family, amongst your friends, and amongst the people in your world. Don't back down from it. Yeah, and and take the risks that are necessary. Yeah, I mean, a a Christ follower. There's certainly moments where you give up a creature comfort in order to to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just the creature comfort of a Sunday afternoon that's relaxing at home, as opposed to going out and doing some kind of service to a neighbor or something like that. Uh, But it would be absolutely ridiculous for me to think that, you know, if I just sell everything and move to the third world and tell people about Jesus, I can check this off. I have done it. That's ridiculous because it has to be fulfilled by Jesus. My my best effort is still filthy rags. And so, and there are people in your life who need you in, in their lives. Mm -hmm. You might be the only person in a person's life who is a connection point to Jesus. And where would they be if you weren't there for them? I think, uh, the, with again, going back to this like life of sacrifice, which really just means a life of love, because love and sacrifice are inseparable. Real love is always making sacrifices for others. I really think that a lot of the heart of a shepherd piece here, it's not just the making of the sacrifice externally. It is what's going on in your heart, so that as people see that love, mm-hmm. they're also seeing that you found something that is worth sacrificing for. And that's what yeah. brings about those those changes of mind and ultimately of heart and that's what real witness is anything else i don't think so all right i think you saw it all let's wrap this one up chapter nine in the books <laughs> thank you so much for being with us everybody we love this podcast we love bringing it to you and we appreciate the feedback we get from you Until next time, may God bless and keep you, and we will see you back here in the Heart of a Shepherd podcast next time. God bless you.